I don't really know what we do because we focus a lot on what you need. It's a weird thing for somebody to hear because they think I'm going to try and pressure them into something that that's not that's not on the menu. Uh, but realistically, like that is what we're doing. Is we're we're very much tailored towards what somebody needs um, as an individual. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Kenny Marquardt. Kenny was born and raised in Huntington Beach, California. He moved to Santa Barbara, California for college, where he met his wife, Jen, and started a career in outside sales for a Fortune 1000 company. According to Kenny, he sucked at it, hated every second of it, and lived every minute of every waking day waiting for the bell at 5 o'clock so he could go to jiu-jitsu. About a year into the job and about five years into jiu-jitsu, he found CrossFit, which slowly morphed into his new passion, replacing jiu-jitsu. Soon, Kenny started casually teaching others what he was doing, and an idea started to form. His wife, Jen, on the other side of things, always loved nutrition, so they hatched a plan to start a gym. This plan included moving across the country to a tiny town in North Idaho, where they knew exactly zero people. A few months later, they saved up the money, packed up all their things, and moved. Long story short, 11 years later, that gym is thriving as Sandpoint Strength and Conditioning with roughly 300 members and five full-time staff members. Outside of the gym, Kenny's a mentor for Two Brain Business. Kenny also does some small business coaching and has started some longevity-focused fitness coaching. Kenny and I talk about the overlap in our experiences as coaches and gym owners, the biggest mistakes we see clients make, and what the most successful clients are doing to all but guarantee they're going to be fit for the rest of their lives. There was more laughter in this podcast than in most, and that's usually a great thing for the listeners. You be the judge. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. Onto the show. Kenny Marquardt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Derek. Happy to happy to join you. Yeah, we were just <laughs> we were having some technical difficulties right before we came on, and uh, we're crossing our fingers on this one. I think we'll be good. <laughs> it's probably me. If, if anyone, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you do kind of live in the middle of nowhere, which we'll we'll, we'll get to here. But uh, so, just to kind of give the audience a little bit of a background, you kind of found your love for fitness while you were simultaneously finding your hatred for for your work at the time um can you go in a little bit into detail as far as like how this whole thing got started yeah totally so i mean fitness has always been a, a bit of a safe haven for me it was i actually found it probably i think 14 15 in a really confusing time for most teenagers most young men um, it was right, well, to get into this too, but it was right after my dad passed away. Like things were just in turmoil and I found the gym as a, as an outlet for 
this is something I have control over. Like I can, if I put in work, I get X result. And that was like, that was a really just amazing thing that resonated and has been a part of my life since. But what you were alluding to is, so I graduated college and uh, then worked in some nightclubs, did the thing and got a real job uh, around the age of 25. Um, I was doing outside sales uh, for a Fortune 1000 doing selling payroll services and I was horrendous at it. Like just, I actually think there were some other like extenuating circumstances that made me so, so bad at it. But, um, you know, doing the nine to five or eight to five and, you know, working your tail off uh, all day long for the next 40 years, hoping that you can come out the other side with this nest egg that you get to then live your life and do the things you want to do became, it became really apparent that that was not the path that I wanted to do. And all that I kept, you know, my, my entire day at that job was, was, it was just counting down the minutes until I could go to the gym, which at the time was jujitsu um, and had been for years. But like, it was as soon as I was done with that, I would be, I would walk across the street, go to the studio, change into my gi and just like, that was it. And like, um, yeah, that was, to, that was a long answer to your question, but that was a, uh, that was when I found my, my, that was when it was really enlightening to me that I could, uh, spend my life doing fitness and be happier than heck. So, so how did you go from that to deciding with your wife to move halfway across the country to Northern <laughs> Idaho and, uh, and start a gym where you knew no one <laughs> all the way across the country. <laughs> we are, we are an hour South of Canada and we moved from Santa Barbara, California. So, uh, so at the time I was doing jiu-jitsu and, and at the time it would have been amazing. Like I would have loved to open a studio, but that's a long, that's a long journey, you know, getting a black belt and doing the whole thing. Um, but in conjunction with jiu-jitsu, I found CrossFit and how I found CrossFit was, you know, I, I like I said, I'd always been in the gym, but traditionally trained like a bodybuilder, you know, back and buys, chest and tries, legs once every six months or whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, and it was making me worse. You know, my performance level would go down the more I'd spend in the gym. And then I found this thing, I found CrossFit and the, you know, functionally training, functionally training, um, you know, compound movements and in a well-rounded way made me better. And then that started to evolve into, I actually got more into CrossFit and then I did jujitsu. And then that started to evolve into where I started showing other people this new thing that I found. And that's when it started to click, like, wait a minute, like people do this. Like I could be, I can coach fitness and I can conveniently cross. It's not, there's not a massive barrier to entry here. Like we can start a gym doing this. Um, and so some, through some conversations and through that, actually my outside sales job, I started talking to gym owners. Like I started kind of cheating on my real job with my, my mistress of, of my hopeful new job and started talking to them and, and figuring out what our, their life looked like and um, recognized that nutrition was a big part of this, that whole picture for which my wife was always fascinated with. She's always been into food, cooking, learning about nutrition. Uh, we started realizing that, like, you know, we could do this. Like we could be couplepreneurs and open a gym and I can do the fitness and you can do the nutrition. And so we started to put this plan together while at the same time we realized that Southern California wasn't really our, it's not that we didn't love it. We actually really liked, you know, our friend group and there's a lot of 
neat things about the area, but we'd also, I grew up, I was born and raised there. She was born and raised in Northern California. And we realized that at the time with no kids, uh, we had in this big opportunity, we were going to leave, we we're going to leave our uh, traditional jobs and make a leap. We also realized it was a good time to do something different and live somewhere else. And we could always come back. Um, and so we decided we'd moved to say, uh, moved to San Juan, Idaho, which was a place that we got married in. We'd, we'd been visiting for, for years and we decided to move there. And, uh, again, the, the big differences were small town, four seasons, uh and just a different way of life that we kind of figured that that move represented just the whole picture of a, a different way of life and a different way of looking at things yeah when you look back i mean i i think about this quite often but when you look back at that that first year you know i'm sure there's a huge party that's like i never want to go through that again but there's also certain experiences that you know that inevitably get kind of packed in there where you're like wow that was that was like really meaningful or like a really powerful moment um, is there anything that sticks out to you in, in the kind of the early phases of business ownership and running a gym? I remember before, like we, this build up to, there's a couple that actually stand out. So the build up to this thing, like we were so excited. We had all these plans in theory. We had some money saved up. Uh, and I knew that like, I couldn't do that job one more day. Like it was like, I'm either leaving this and I don't know what I will do, but I'm, I'm definitely jumping off here. And there was all this anticipation built up. And then we got there and there was this moment of silence. We got to this last stretch of highway. It's like a 45 minute last stretch on the 95 before you get to Sandpoint. And I had built this up. Like I had thought about this the whole way or the whole way, um, you know, leading up to this for, for months, thinking how excited we were going to be on this last stretch. And it was the, almost the opposite of just sheer terror of like, what have we done? Like we know nobody here. We we've, unearthed our entire life and now we're doing this we've taken this massive risk and that actually played out for almost the remainder all the rest of the summer like there was times that we were just i remember sitting on this couch and i had this whiteboard so we moved up to uh, we just uh we settled my own had a place up here that's where we vacation that's how we found the uh the area and so i remember sitting on this couch with this whiteboard and just having this blank like I don't know what I'm doing. Like why we, we, we totally came up here with this. We thought it all come, we thought it all just kind of like fall into place. And it actually did. It just takes, it always takes a lot longer, right? Like yeah. in hindsight, it just makes, it makes perfect sense. But in the middle of it, yeah, I was, I don't, I never thought we made a mistake, but I was completely terrified. Uh, and, and just like unsure of what to do next. And, we were, so I took a job working as a, as a barista in a coffee shop to like, just pay the, pay the bills that we had. And, and before we like made the, the leap, we didn't have a space. We didn't have any like concrete plans on where to go necessarily. And so I was working in a coffee shop. My wife was working in a restaurant and we'd left these like relatively established corporate jobs. And it just felt like, I don't know. It was just kind of, it was like, what have we done? Like, does this make any sense? Or are we complete morons? <laughs> Well, the, there's always irony in the trade-off, right? And, and this yeah. obviously isn't isn't true for everybody, but in your case and in, in my particular case, it's like you you have this path, which is you go the corporate route and there there's no mystery to what it is you should be doing. You're literally told task to task exactly what it is you should be doing and how it needs to be done. But then misery ensues. And then yes. you go the route of, of entrepreneurship, starting a business, 
and you realize you know nothing and have very little direction and then fear ensues. So it's kind of like you're, 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 it's just a trade off at the end of the day, right? You're just accepting one pain for another. Uh, just, you know, to, to me and I'm sure to you now in hindsight, the pain of having to learn all that on our own and to be scared or fearful for an extended period of time far outweighs the pain of being in a job that you know you hate. For sure. For sure. And I think that's the biggest, one of the big humps that people have to get over in that in entrepreneurship is that first one, because it's all of a sudden, again, it gets super exciting and you think you've got this big thing in, in mind, but the trail getting there is often pretty, pretty rocky. And can, again, there's no trail. Like a lot of times there's no damn trail. You just see the, you see the off, far off mountain and you're, you want to climb it and you have all this energy to climb it, but you don't know which, how to get there. Well, especially and, when uh, we, when we opened, what year did you open? 2012 right so we were 11 it was basically the same time and like wild back west, then yeah. oh it was the yeah. wild west forums, wild west the the, the the forums were a good resource and like journal was a good resource but other yep. than i have i have the again faster spreadsheet for a business plan of like this is how many members i need this is how many i'll grow this is my expenses and like i remember tinkering with that all day and again I, it made sense but it was like okay it was the the South Park underpants gnomes episode, like where it's yes. like the, the step one, step three is profits, but step two is missing. Like that was <laughs> right there. Like that was that was our life. I will say I have I have grown so much appreciation for people that started a business before the internet and before access to a lot of these tools and resources came so easily available and was able to go from startup on your own with no real playbook to being able to figure it out because it's obviously gotten a heck of a lot easier over the last decade, just, just in the abundance of resources and mentors that are available. Isn't that right? I feel like the old guy on the porch with sitting in his rocking chair, shaking his fist at the new gym. Like, you have no idea how easy you have it. I built all my own equipment. With my I mean, own I would... Hands. I would be lying if I didn't say that I've had like this like twinge of frustration with some of the resources that CrossFit's been putting out just because back then there was nothing. It was crickets. It was pretty much just like main site programming, level one, good luck. <laughs> I mean, Send a couple of emails. We might respond in a couple months. I don't know. Yeah, and now they're actually like they're developing a little bit of a playbook for, for people that are looking to start an affiliate. I mean, I'm sure it's nowhere near what some of these – you know, private run mentorship programs like two brain are able to put together, but it's still something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's our story. That's our initial story is just like, <laughs> wild. like, what have we done? Is this going to work? And then I ended up finding uh, a guy that was running like a garage gym in a little warehouse. And there was two guys um, and they just had this little private, private gym that they let their friends work out in for like 50 bucks a month. And i I went to that gym, started having some conversations with them, started working out with them. And I was like, guys, I moved here to do this. Like, let's, let's go let's make a run at this. And, uh, so we did. And that was, uh, that's the, the beginnings. I ended up buying them out a couple of years in and now we're 11 years into this thing. So. Nice. Yeah. I was going to say by my calculations, you're, you're probably, you've rounded 11. No, we're, this is our 11th year. We'll be, uh, it's like November. Uh, we moved here 11 years ago in june so we're just shy of our 11th got it anniversary of moving here the gym is officially yeah it was like four to six months after that so 
Now, is the gym very much so uh, CrossFit methodology based or are there other things that you do? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I always hesitate that the term's so loaded, but uh, we're a level method gym, which more or less quantified uh, the idea of a well-rounded athlete that I think CrossFit started. And, but we do a lot of personal training, a lot of nutrition, a lot of sport, youth sports performance stuff as well. So, Fantastic. Yeah, you yeah. guys, you mirror our facility uh, very well. I mean, we're, we're a level method gym ourselves and it's, you know, a good balance of strength and conditioning and, and CrossFit. So, and I think you're starting to see this become more and more prominent, uh, with people that got into this, we're very like grassroots CrossFit. And then they start to kind of find their identity throughout the years and that can best serve their clientele. Yeah. And that's evolved massively for me. Um, and I'm sure as you as well, just like looking at stuff, again, I got into it thinking it was entertaining for me because it was a bit of a fringe sport. So like jujitsu was very much a fringe sport, very much a fringe sport of like somewhat of an extreme. Um, and that was super, like the sport of fitness really appealed to me. The well-rounded thing was made sense in my head, but I don't think that I, I would have like, again, that, that helped me with the jujitsu stuff, but I don't know how appealing that would have been in terms of, hey, let's make you awesome for the next 70 years and make you well-rounded so you can live long and function really well. It was more like, Hey, how can I kick all sorts of ass next week? And yeah, I would agree. I mean, and I think age plays a big role in that, you know, when you get into this in your, your earlier mid twenties, um, I think that the draw for a lot of people, especially those that have an athletic background is the, this, this, there's just a plethora of things to get better at. Mm -hmm. So it becomes addicting from so many angles. You're like, Oh my gosh, my gymnastics. Oh my gosh, weightlifting. Oh my gosh, powerlifting. And it's just like this combination effect where you're like, holy crap, like there's just so much for me to do in here. So if I, I feel like I had a, a, a greater pull to the gym after being introduced to CrossFit than ever before in my life. And I love the gym. Totally. Same. You're, you're 100% right. And it was like, especially as a beginning athlete, again, who, who squatted once, once in a while. Like the PRs came so fast and furious. It was like, this is amazing. Like next week, I'm, you know, it was super exciting and fun to do all these things that I hadn't really done before and to progress quickly in those things was really, really appealing to me as well. Yeah, I will, I will say, you know, even CrossFit has evolved quite a bit since that time, but I'm, I'm very thankful for where it was in, it, in its infancy when we, you know, got started. Um, I think <laughs> back to your, your, kind of perspective of being like the, the grandpa that's like, you know, you have no idea what I went through. I, I think we, I find myself sometimes talking to people in that way uh, when people talk about, or just getting started with CrossFit now. I'm like, oh, I wish you could have seen where this was, you know, a decade ago and like how this whole thing transpired. Cause it's just been a really cool journey to be a part of. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's been fun. I, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like, so I work with 40 gyms and as a mentor and, you know, a lot of them have been around for as long as we have. And it's interesting to consider how many of those are super successful or relatively successful because of what they kind of endured to get there. It wasn't like, it was almost that you had to dig pretty hard to get to, to a level of success to keep you here. And I'm not sure what, like, it's kind of a chicken egg argument, but if you can be resourceful and, and make this work, with very limited resources, like you'll probably do really well because you're just motivated to do so and you're going to find a solution. 
Yeah, well, and I think there were multiple waves that people had to ride. To ride. So in the in the very you know early years from like twelve through fifteen, like CrossFit was just the hockey stick on the graph. It was taking off. You know, so I think just by being a CrossFit gym and and having some sense of how to run a business, and more importantly, just being an enthusiastic and a well you know um, knowledge coach, you put yourself in a position to to get new members and to to keep people around. Right. It was yeah. a, it was very community camaraderie driven in the early years. And it was very rah, rah, like everything, like even the people that were there had no business in ever competing in the open, loved the CrossFit games. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it was, it was just because the, 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 the CrossFit was growing itself. Those two things were so still heavily intertwined. Whereas like now they've started to separate a little bit more. I feel like back yeah. then it was like all in one. Yeah, for sure. It was very new and exciting. Like there was the, I mean, we got, we had so many referral people. We had, we had zero market. We did zero marketing at all. I remember looking yep. a couple of years in and looking at my profit and loss. And I think I literally spent less than $2,000 in, in four or five years on a marketing, whatever I categorize as marketing, because it was so exciting and new and people were so enthused to bring their friends into this, this thing that nobody had ever seen or done before. Yeah. And then I feel like the second wave that came was when other companies you know, and we knew this had to have happened or it was going to happen, right? It was imminent was you had the orange theory, the F 45s and some of these other group models, seeing what CrossFit was doing in that space, seeing the emergence of a group model, being able to be successful and attracting so many, uh, different types of clients go, Hey, we can come in here and cut out our share of the pie. Um, and while it was frustrating at the time, because obviously, you know, starting a CrossFit gym required far less upfront, cash and you know cash investment than some of these other franchises it was it was frustrating in that they were able to do these major big time marketing um you know marketing productions they were able to uh launch multiple facilities in like really really hot spots in in neighborhoods and in cities um and then alongside of that they had pristine facilities right yep. incredibly clean brand new equipment you know like towels for everybody, beautiful bathrooms. And it was like, damn it. Like, <laughs> like yeah. why can't I have my hole in the wall CrossFit gym and just do what I want to do, you know? But I think what it did do ultimately, and, and you can um, you know, speak to this, is like I think it forced CrossFit gyms to professionalize and commercialize themselves uh, and, and really just raise the bar. Yeah, I think so. And it, an interesting aspect of that is I was actually just looking at this, I think earlier in the week, of the different different uh, stock prices of all those companies, like F45, Peloton, Orange Theory, um, there's a couple others. But in any case, like they had this big, everybody was talking about the, the bubble, like the CrossFit bubble. Like I, I had a lot of members who were older than I was or who were more, they're like, hey man, like you better ride this while you can. And then the next new shiny thing is gonna come along and you guys are gonna be out on your ass because whatever. And that always, that kind of concerned me, obviously it concerned me because we did have a pretty solid amount of momentum for the first years. And we still, we've actually continued that over the last 11, but, but initially you're like, Oh man, I should be waiting for this other shoe to drop. And, and it hasn't. And I don't, I don't know what that's attributed to other than the fact that I think that there's this level of motivation to be to, to coach, obviously, we talk about like the individual nature of what we do, despite the fact that it's in a group and focusing on that in the individual, um, regardless of how you package it, is the the, diff, the, the big separator 
but again, that, that those new things that haven't been so focused on that have more or less popped and yet we still stand stronger than ever. Um, so yeah. Well, I, I think know. it's, you ever heard the saying like big ships turn slow. Mm. So I yeah. think that a lot of times what happens is, is there's such this delineation of information and of delegation that, that has to take place before they're able to pivot based on yeah, trends totally. in the market and based on the behavior of their their members. Whereas for gyms like yours and mine, like we're able to make adjustments in rather short order. And in this way, we can continue to kind of like catch new waves as they come along. Because I think another piece to this was that there started to grow, there was a, an appreciation growing for even smaller group or more private-based training that wasn't what the old personal training model looked like, but was much more prescriptive and much more high value in terms of what it was able to provide for the client. So now you're starting to see these CrossFit gyms have multiple offerings for people that have more complex problems that they might want to solve and may not want to work through those in a group setting. Totally. I think that's a hundred percent true. All, all of what you just said actually resonated really strongly where I think that we're looking at our gyms, we, we've evolved. We've had, a, I don't know, probably three or four different like eras of what we've done and like our methodology and how that's, how that's changed. Um, and that's not really feasible in that big package thing that's coming, you know, has a, has a, the figurehead dictating what, what can or can't be done or should be done. Um, so yeah, again, we do, we can turn a lot faster and evolve, but again, coming back to the individual where like, I sometimes have a hard, I still, like I should have my elevator pitch dialed by now you think, but so sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I, I don't really know what we do because we focus a lot on what you need. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, I, and I still have to tell when they come in for a, for an introduction or a no sweat intro, like that, the line, I think people think it's a lot of, a line that I'm, you know, trying to get them in so I can sell them something they don't need. But when I tell them, like, I don't, I can't tell you pricing because I need, I don't know what you need. Like, uh, that's a weird, like, again, it's a weird thing for somebody to hear because they think I'm going to try and pressure them into something that that's not, that's not on the menu. Uh, but realistically, like, that is what we're doing is we're, we're very much tailored towards what somebody needs um, as an individual, whether it's in, whether they end up in group or they end up in personal training, like, I don't know. I, I still, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's really hard to get people to think on longer time horizons, right? Like that's ultimately one of the greater challenges for us as owners, coaches, you know, in, in both onboarding people at our gym and also continuing to serve the people that we currently do, which is we, we can't, while we can think in 90 day or so increments in terms of these kind of like micro goals or uh, ways that we want to track progress, ultimately like we're, we're talking about years here, right? And I think that's yeah. where our facilities really separate in our efforts from some of these other larger scale group models and why we may be able to retain members a little bit better than them. And it's because of the fact that like we're constantly revisiting um, these conversations with the clients to make sure that as they're continuing with their becoming more of an educated client themselves, that we're continuing to revisit what it is they actually want out of this experience, right? It's not yeah. just come in and sweat and high five friends. Like that's a huge part of what you do. But I think People, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like my members, the longer they're with me, the better their answers become as far as why it is that they're actually doing what they're doing at the gym. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And again, that's a lot of, 
I'd like to think that that comes from the, from the top and like my perspective changing too. It's just like, I'm very interested in being amazing at like being, a, I think that it's been, it's been again, chicken and egg. I'm not sure which is first, but like, I've been able to create a life that I really love and that's awesome. And now I'm realizing like, I want to live this thing and, and I want to be able to do all the things that I'm doing for 60 more years not next week and again i think i've been able to now extrapolate that down into what we're the messaging that we're giving to our people about like i don't like yeah we frame our first our first 90 days in like a 90 we do a 90 day journey for everybody to get started but it's really like i need to train someone and have the accountability to be tapping them on the shoulder about hey you need to brush your teeth 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 and then 90 days later, they're automatically like, they know brushing their teeth is like what they should be doing. It's just like part of their day. And that's how fitness is like, we just need, we provide that accountability for them in the beginning. But the real time horizon is like 50 years from now. Like, I don't, uh, that's awesome. Like, I, that's, that's, that's the entirety of what we're trying to achieve is them to be able to make this a normal part of their life that they are trying to become, you know, the best version of themselves for the next half, half century. Yeah. And we know that thinking on longer time horizons is not natural. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they said, this one blew my mind. Um, I was talking to my wife about this. They, they said 50% of the U S population couldn't get $2,500 in cash within a, tw if they had a 24 hour notice and it, it just blew my mind. I'm like, that's, yeah. that's bonkers to me. Right. So, but I yep. think the same problem exists in fitness is that we are just so short-sighted on the things that we want that the more we can pull people out of that mindset and get them focused on the long-term things, the more they can kind of settle in, right? And, and where it yep. stops becoming focused on vanity metrics and it starts becoming focused on these, these markers that are going to help them live this long and happy life where they're capable of doing all the things they want to be able to do long-term. For sure. And that's a, a part of our evolution at the gym. In fact, I was just talking to her about this. Like we don't, like, I think I have like maybe 10 people that log their workouts every day um just based on like and that's somewhat coming into like competitive aspect of like a day-to-day -day. but the point the point i was trying to make is like i really don't care what people do in the gym every day as long as they're there you know if, if somebody comes three to five times a week if they if you know by their definition half acid every day like that's okay like great but it's part of their day it's part of their life they're, they're making exercise just like that's one box that they have to check on a daily basis, that's going to be so much like, that's enough for, for, I mean, that puts that separates them to that's the, whatever top 5% of the nation, if not more, maybe that, but that's the, might be the 1% of the nation uh, that's achieving that and doing that. And the, the making those deposits will be the, that compounds so significantly over time where it's not about the big deposit tomorrow. It's the, you know, those little ones for the next 50 years is going to be so significantly different. And we'll set everybody up so significantly uh, better than most people. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, adherence is the ultimate marker, right? Like for us, in terms of the success of our of our clients, it's if the more they're showing up and and the more consistently they're showing up, the more they're working towards the thing that they actually want. Yeah, for sure. And again, I hope that want is like I've even gotten less enthused with body composition stuff. Cause that, that became, it was like, Hey, this is a vessel. Like, okay. First it was kind of performance. Who cares what you look like or feel like, 
And that's like, I still somewhat adhere to that as well. Like different people are going to have different genetics and like, it's what you can do, not what you look like. And that's somewhat pertains. And then, and then that's somewhat kind of softened and became a little bit like, Hey, let's try and like, this is a, this is an entertaining way for you to, to improve body composition. I think that was another like short era where like, that was kind of the thing like, Oh, cool. Let's, let's make it where, you know what I mean? Like it was, Hey, like, we all want to look better naked. Let's try and look better naked together. Not, not looking <laughs> naked together. <laughs> no wonder you get so many members. <laughs> it's like, great. <laughs> I have a busy phone call, a busy set of phone calls later. Um, but that, the, uh, it's more about just making that a, a habit thing. Like, yeah, people should eat well. They should watch what they eat for sure. Like, I think that, but again, that doesn't have to be super complicated. And what, what, how you and I started chatting about Outlive is like, you know, it's not like there's so much dogma to this, but if you just focus on eating, eating protein and vegetables, like you're probably doing pretty well. And if you probably work out every day in some fashion, if you just move for 45 minutes to an hour, you're doing really, really well. And how I kind of got here was like monitoring that, monitoring the body composition progress and ups and downs and, you know, 5% here, 5% there. It's really become a lot less interesting to me than just managing somebody's daily habits and saying, hey, look, again, if you're making your, your plate mostly protein, mostly vegetables, and you're working out in some capacity, if you're moving every day and you're sleeping seven, eight hours a day and you're hydrating and you've got a good like way to track your mindset, like doing a journaling, like that's it. If you can check those boxes every day, like I don't know how much I care about what else happened. Yeah. Well, I want to double click really quick on the, the, the body composition piece because this is this is a conversation I have had with people before. And I think there's a really important reframing that needs to take place. And this has been kind of transformative for some people that I've talked to it, which is if, if your goal for the last, let's say two years has been just this constant pursuit of getting to a certain body composition, let's say it's like 8% body fat for men or, or 15 or 16% body fat for women, whatever it is, right. Incredibly lean. And you're not achieving it. It's like, I always ask people, are you sure this is actually what you want? Because if yep. this much time has transpired, right, and we we have the tools and resources, and this person would agree, I have the tools and resources to be able to do these things. If you're not achieving it, maybe it's not worth, the trade-offs aren't worth it for you. And it's better that you take the time to really think that through and accept that than it is for you to continue to just like pound the hammer, right? <laughs> and 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 better yet, blame, play the blame game with yourself and just like guilt yourself into every single time you want to have an outing with friends. It's like, or just maybe you like to have a couple beers with friends. You like to enjoy some cake at parties. You like to travel and, and be adventurous with tasting new foods. You like to put some butter, extra butter on the food at home. Like maybe you like some extra carbs. It's like, and that's fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like you're not at a, in a profile where this is going to severely affect your long-term health. You're just getting yourself really worked up over this nuance of a few degrees of body fat difference. And it's like maybe just accepting that this is not right for you is the way to go. I've had a lot of weird, like not weird conversations, but people have kind of looked back at me like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? But where we've reframed the whole thing to say like, does this, this doesn't matter to you. And that's not a judgment. That's really okay. I think you need to be more, more okay with that. This is okay. Then you need to be with like trying to, that you're beating yourself up about that. You can't hit this goal. Cause you're just kind of like push pulling against yourself. Like let's, let's do some, like, I'm not a therapist, but to do some therapy on this, to say, Hey, look, like just, just come to terms with this and like be accepting of who you are and what that is. 
and say that that's that's great. Like we don't need to do nutrition anymore. Like this is you're you're done. Like you got you got the thing. Let's not chase this this unattainable unattainable rabbit anymore. But the look on their faces sometimes they're like, wait a minute. Like you're supposed to help me lose all this body fat. I'm like no no no. I want to I want you to be happy and live a long time. That's it. Like yeah. that, you know. Have you ever seen the precision nutrition cost of getting lean infographic? Yes. Definitely. Oh, it's great. I so yeah. I will generally when I feel like there's this disconnect from what people say they want and what they actually want, I will pull that out because it, it just like it lays it out in front of them and says, okay, this is where you are and this is where you want to get to. And this is your current lifestyle habits and behaviors. And this is what you would have to change. Do you want to change into these behaviors? And they go, no. And I'm like, okay, so you don't want this, right? Like let's, we, th this way, like we can just be a little bit more analytical in the way that we're approaching this. For sure. And that's like, again, like the acceptance of that for them is the, the hardest part a lot of the time. Like, well, no, I'm supposed to do this or I'm supposed to look like this or like, well, no, like, like you should be happy and live a long, healthy life. And, and the healthy thing I think might be a loaded thing, but like it might not be, it might be less healthy actually because it's, sure. it's yeah. Well, and then you're going to have the instances too, where someone else might be more genetically gifted than them in that particular department but I always remind people, they probably have their own set of shortcomings elsewhere. So like, not to be like, you know, an ass, but it's like, would you rather be dumber? <laughs> like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, 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 would you be okay with being more stupid if you had better genes for your looks? And people would be like, wait, what? And it's like, it, listen, like there is this whole array of privilege when it comes to genetic profiles. Like, like. Some people are just lucky in some departments and unlucky in others, you know? Yep. And it's like, I don't want to have to dissect everyone's lives to play this comparative game here. But like, there's a lot of things that people that have, you know, good genetics in terms of their, their lean muscle tissue and very little fat mass have in, in the way of like unluck. So it's like, look, it's all trade-offs. And the reality is like, you can get pretty freaking fit while still maintaining a happy lifestyle outside of it. For sure. I don't know if I want to know the answer to that actually from, from a lot of people. I feel like, I feel like the trade-off would be I'd rather be hot and dumb than smart and a little bit, have a little bit of extra fat. I'm actually, maybe I'm cynical of my, my advancing age, but. Oh, listen, I know I've talked to people for sure that would totally accept the loss of a few brain cells if it meant fat cells went with them. For sure. <laughs> oh, that's a funny concept. Um, well, hey, I know one of the conversations we've, we've been having off air is around um, Peter Atiyah's new book, Outlive. Um, and I'll kind of, I know I, my audience has heard me talk about this quite a bit, and it's going to come up. I have a few guests coming on that this is going to become, you know, kind of a focal point of our conversation. But just to give you a quick overview, you know, the purpose of the book is basically to identify um, some of what he refers to as like the four horsemen, things like atherosclerosis and cancer and those sort of things, um, neurodegenerative diseases that ultimately are what catch all of us, right? Like at some point on the timeline, they get all of us, right? So we, we refer to their, their effective on us as, as, as lifespan, right? You have this binary of like you're either dead or you're alive. And then there's this, this other dimension, which is health span, which is the qualitative aspect of your life from the time that you were born to the time that you die. And ultimately, the goal being that 
you live a, as long of a life as possible while living the best of a, of a life as possible. And then you have this sharp decline at the very end and you die, right? Rather than yep. this like decline that starts really early on in your life and you just like have a complete and total reduction in quality of life for decades before you finally pass. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in your notes is that you believe that um, we all have the resources and abilities to take the next 60 years into our control. What do you mean by that? Well, I just think that like the point of the book, I, I took the point of the book is that we're now emerging into this medicine 3.0 and the medicine 3.0 being, so medicine 2.0 is kind of, is uh, very much reactive. Medicine 3.0 is very much proactive. And I think that some of the things I talked about a second ago with, with just those basic set of habits, like that is medicine 3.0 is it, it with including, including uh, some active, more active modes of prevention, you know, as, as far as like, uh, you know, blood work and, and working with a physician and in those aspects of like, okay, we can do screening. We can do some, uh, we can do some screening above and beyond these habits. But if you do those five or six things on a daily basis, like that's accessible to everybody. And the, the, it's a very minimal investment, but will compound massively over time that will, sh that should translate. And the point is made like every single, I have so many highlights in the book where it's like, it should be, this is a reason people should exercise. This is a reason people should exercise. This is a reason people should like, it's so compelling and so unarguable that by just doing those little things, you will set yourself up for a, a massive amount of success for the next, you know, 50 or 60 years. Um, that I think that that's, that's it. That was the whole point I thought I took from the book. Yeah, I w I'm very much in agreement with you on that. Um, you know, one of the, the things that I, I've been struggling with recently, just in, in thinking about how to break this down is, you know, I had, I had Jordan Syed on the podcast um, and a few others where the, the, the concept of there just being people that genuinely hate exercise has come to, to topic, mm. right? Yeah. And I struggle with this because of the fact that everything we read from some of the smartest people on the planet points that by if you're trying to move the needle on basically anything in your life, exercise is at the very top. Yep. Like you can, you can alter everything from like your mental health to your physical health, to the mental health of the people that you live with. Like basically every component to your life can be the, the most influenced by your ability to force yourself to go to the gym on a regular basis. And I think where I struggle with this is in, in the case that there are people that genuinely hate exercise, my question is why? Like, is, is that something that they were born with? You know, so I try to think about it. If you if you rewind the tape 500 years, did that exist then? Like, were there people that were like, I don't want to walk. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> I don't want I don't want to go out and forage. Like, <laughs> like did, so, like, did that, did that exist then? You know, or is this something that's become a learned behavior? I, I do believe that it's, it exists, right? And I've experienced people where it's like pulling tooth and nail to get them to exercise. And it's almost always based on the fact that they just want to lower their body fat and look better, right? Like, yeah, I feel I'm going to say the word and it's going to be of me what I, I'll try and explain what I mean. But I think there's a lack, I think there's a laziness to that. And I don't mean laziness in that, like, 
that that's like they don't want to breathe hard and get their heart rate. They want to sit on the couch. I think there's a laziness in terms of finding the avenue for which that that makes sense to them and resonates with them. Like there's like it's saying like because I don't like whatever Italian food that I don't like eating. Like I think there's so much opportunity now to do things disguised as fun that turn out as exercise that I have a very hard time finding. I, I I can't really like, I just can't believe that somebody can't find something that they can disguise as exercise that is disguised as exercise or sorry, disguised as fun. That is actually exercise for them. You know, whether, whether it's bird watching or Zumba or, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be what, you know, CrossFit or, or doing is bird watching is bird watching a physical activity. <laughs> I would think, I mean, to go walk and go whatever catalog bird, you get, you know, end up doing a mile, you end up walking a mile while you walk. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> a bird enthusiast. Maybe I should use something closer to home. But <laughs> I think it's finding the motivation. Like I hunt a ton. Like that's my, that's my reason for a lot of the things that I do physically to like get prepared for that. But that can be a vessel for someone to get exertion and to get into shape. But like, I'm going to go walk out in the woods. I'm going to do three miles in the woods, you know, trying to find my quarry. And that's exercise. Like that's some of the best exercise that I get. And the same, same can go. Like I just, there's so many different ways to, to find ways to move your body. Again, I don't, I think people are often think that I'm trying to like sell them on my gym or like I send out emails all the time about like, I don't care if you join my gym. Like, I really don't. Like, I'd be thrilled if you did because I know you're going to get a, you're going to get taken care of. But I also understand that it's very much might not be your cup of tea, but I would love for you to find something. And if you want me to like help you, help you explore all those options and like just have some conversations about it, like I'd be more than happy to do it. And I think people think I'm going to, again, it kind of comes back. I think people think I'm going to try and sell them on my gym. But at the end of the day, don't care. Like, we're, yeah. we're, we're going to serve our people and do well, but like, if you need a rollerblade, great. If you want to do whatever underwater hockey, great. Like, and again, I know I, all the examples I'm giving are maybe not going to resonate with the person that is just like affixed to the couch, but I guarantee like find go find Pokemon or whatever. Like my kid was jacked about that. And like we go around the neighborhood, find a Pokemon on his phone and we'd log miles at a time. Um, yeah. I mean, I think my question here is, is it a preset from the time they're born or is it a preset yeah. that was caused by environmental and home life factors to a certain point where once they reached a certain age, it just became a part of who they were. So for instance, like if I, if I, I would ask the question, like if this person were part of, let's say a schooling system that prioritized gym class, that prioritized adventure and outdoor time, would they still have become the same person that believes that they hate every form of physical activity? And I have a hard time believing the answer would be yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's got to be a coming like a financial comparison would be, you know, the person that they've just always had that story. Like they've, they've grew up in a certain, certain way in debt, um, you know, whatever that is. Like, I, I think, sorry, I, I kind of took what you were saying and started thinking about something else, but yeah, the same, like the kind of like the, the nurture, the nurture side of things. But then on top of that, the fact that that is, that has compounded negatively that they now are facing this monumental mountain of like, dude, I'm never going to get off from under this debt. Like, why not, like, you know, why not just keep living the way I'm living? Cause that's just not who I am. 
Sure. Well, and I, you know, not for nothing, like th- there's, there's obviously more tension to create a habit when you're just starting something. So for instance, if you today were like, Hey Derek, like I just signed you up for cello lessons. Like my, it's going to be, it's going to cost me a lot to have to like, think about the fact that I got to go play this freaking thing. I got to drive yeah. there. I need to get a lesson. I know That's it's going to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, yeah. I'm going to be like, I'm 34. Like, why the hell am I learning this now? So I imagine if you were to flip that and do that with somebody that is just getting started with exercise, like people like yourself or, or, or me, like walking 10,000 steps and eating relatively healthy and like working out five, six days a week, I barely even have to think about it anymore. It's just part of who yeah. I am. Right. And I think that it's just so far removed from somebody, like you said, they have this that the weight that's kind of on top of them of this compounding effect from, of just like years, if not decades of not contributing to that, to where the tension is just increasing and increasing, increasing of what they would have to go through in order to normalize that habit. Yeah, for sure. I think that's been valuable for me as a coach to try and expose myself to situations like that, that I have not been able to understand through exercise. You know, like, Jiu-Jitsu was a good example of that. Like walking and starting that is a, is a rough, that's a rough start. Um, you get your butt kicked for a year straight pretty much. So that was a good experience to, to understand what that feels like for somebody who's new in fitness. But, you know, learning a new language, I've been trying to learn Spanish for like five years and I'm terrible at it. And every, every single lesson, I'm nervous and I don't want to do it and I think about canceling it. Uh, and so again, to, to the point, this isn't super relevant necessarily to, to the topic other than to say like as a coach i think that's important to put yourself in those shoes of the person that all the way to the gym they're trying to figure out how they can whatever get in an accident so they don't have to work out or whatever it is so yeah i mean it's it's getting comfortable in in new environments but i think it's important to separate feeling unfamiliar right rather than incompetent or incapable, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, when someone shows up to your gym for the, the their first couple sessions, it's like reminding them like, you know, A, apathy is going to be part of this. B, uh, you're probably going to feel uh, very unfamiliar and where, where that imposter syndrome kicks in from time to time, but you're not incapable, right? Like this can yeah. be boiled down to something that is well within your capacity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, I think that does the imposter syndrome thing is a, is an important aspect of that. Even if it's, I'm not sure how to do a better job of that. That's a good, that's a really good point though. But like to point out the fact that like all, everybody started, like there are so many people in my gym that have that incredible story of overcoming, you know, their mountain of fitness debt. And now that's now they're in a good spot. And I don't know how to like, how to, explain that to somebody who's like, Hey, I know all, you know, that person over there, like they started here, they didn't know the language we're doing, you know, it's a, well, and this, maybe it's not your story to tell, you know, like perhaps it is, we, we have to rely on the people that have kind of gone from that place of, uh, of, of fitness debt to a place where they now not only have an appreciation for going to the gym on a regular basis, but more importantly, what their body's capable of. And, you know, yeah. that's that's actually a point I wanted to make here is I think it's that much more important that once someone gets over their fitness debt and starts to develop some sort of a habit inside of the gym that they do the same thing outside of it. Because ultimately when we talk about words like functionality, right, oftentimes it gets talked about in the in 
the context of being inside of your facility, but where it really matters is in the outside, right? And it's your ability to learn things quicker and the reluctance, you know, to, to learn things kind of starts to evaporate when you start to trust your body to learn to do things, right, on a, on a certain time horizon. So I always tell people, like, if you fall in love with hiking, if you fall in love with jujitsu, if you fall in love with mountain bike riding, you're bird far watching. more likely to go to the gym. <laughs> What'd you say? Bird watching. <laughs> or bird watching. You're far more likely to go to the gym because it acts as this preservation kind of like home or, or tool to keep all of these other things alive. Whereas like, yeah. if you're like, I go to the gym because I just want to, I, I want to look decent. And then I want to go home and sit on the couch the rest of the time and do nothing. It's like, well, when, when you're 50 and the gym gets harder, it's going to be easier to write off. But if your lifestyle requires that you go to the gym in order to preserve it, you're more likely to stick with it. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's some of that reciprocal nature of like building a life and activities that you love to do. And then making the fact that, yeah, I mean, that's exactly. I'm just echoing what you said, but to, to extrapolate that out over the next, like one of my things is like, I do, I hunt with some guys who are, they're doing backcountry hunts in their sixties and it's amazing. So like the fact that like, it's not a big deal to them. Like they'll, they'll just go do it. And I started realizing like, you know, I kind of assumed my time horizon on that was like 15 or 20 years. And now to realize it could be 40, 50 years. Like that is, that was the thing that for me, what started to kind of put this all into some more, some better context. And I think you're right. Where somebody seeing the function of the things that they love in their life and recognizing that that's a, there's a sliding scale there that they need to kind of, be able to back into appropriately through training and, and the functionality of what we're doing into their everyday life and that long from yeah. there. Now, one of the things I think you're really good at is you're a very numbers driven person. Um, and I think that, you know, that speaks to it on a broad scale. And then when you, when you kind of like zone in you or zoom in, you, what it leads to is like, you're good at being able to identify what are the things worth measuring? Um, yeah. Would you say that you kind of carry this mentality with your clients? Yeah. So that's a hard, co so like, this isn't a great answer, but I don't do a whole lot of, I do a little bit of fitness coaching now, um, more business coaching. So that's, uh, I guess that's a little bit harder to answer. Well, you did just onboard with level method. So right there in and of itself is, is obviously a much more objective approach. Yeah, for sure. And that's, it does boil into that for sure. Like the, here's, this is where you fall. This is how this all compares. And this is what this, that again, that was one of the things that really, when, when we, I did a, I was a part of a presentation, Peter Atia did, and he started quantifying the slide and like just the, the he talks about the centenarian Olympics and that uh, like how, that this is, but if you want to be able to pick up your kid or your great grandkid or your grandkid, who's 25 pounds, that that means that now you need to be able to do a goblet squat with, you know, 70 pounds or whatever, because you're going to have a, a rate of decline. And so th that was, again, I'm deferring a little bit away from your question, but it that like, once you see the way broadly, you see it in all things. Like I've started to recognize that with people to be like, Hey, listen, like, this is like, you're, you're not quite hitting the mark. You want to be able to do this in, in 50 years. But yeah. The answer is yeah, of course. Okay. Well, then we should probably work in to get you here now because it's not going to get better 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I've started asking clients some of these questions about what it is they want in, you know, over the course of 30 to let's say 50 years, depending on what their starting point is. Yep. And for some people, I think that A, it's probably the, the first time that they've ever been asked that. And totally. B, in some cases, it's the first time they've ever actually thought about it. Absolutely. It's a, that's a, I've been meaning to come up with my own set of, like, I know Peter has a set of questions. I just think it's such a, it's such a broad, like I do ask the question, but I, I think I need to have a better capability to like point to certain things because exactly what you just said, most people are kind of like confounded by the whole idea. Like they're just not, they have no idea. Like they, you know what I mean? Yeah. And one way you could do this is to kind of take the negative approach, which is like, well, what do you want to avoid? Yeah. You know, because, because especially because obviously given the fact that, you know, the, the percentage of people that are in their 60s, 70s and 80s that are out there like running half marathons and deadlifting and doing all these things, it's, it's so minuscule. Like we're talking about like the 1% of the 1%. So it just by the nature of like going and spending time around older people and seeing how they function and the things they're incapable of, you can look at it and be like, Oh, like I don't want my posture to look like that. Like, Oh, like that sucks. Like he can't even pick up his, his grandkid or like, Oh, he's unable to go on that, you know, two or three mile walk. He's got to use the chair or whatever. Right. And it's like, look, I know that everyone in life has like different circumstances and there are things sometimes completely outside of our control, but we can still use this as a guiding, a, a way of guidance to kind of give us an idea of what we're trying to avoid as we age. Yeah. And the most, re- most powerful motivator I think that most people have is their parents or watching their parents' story because that situation is it so close to home and they've seen it like they're witnessing it either now or they did witness it uh, to a more catastrophic end and that's like what you just said as far as what they don't want that's the thing where they're like no i do not want to end up like my parents and so that's their big that's their big driver but again to maybe make it more well-rounded is like hey what is do you want to do you want to live on your own up until your final days or do you want to live in a home like do you want to be able to get up off the ground or do you want the Firefighters have to get called every time you, you know, get out of the tub or whatever. Um, that'd be a good set of questions. You're right. Yeah, no, I know you have, um, you know, a, a personal connection to this because you had some members in your family die. What I would say is pretty prematurely, right, in terms of, of yep. their their total age. So, was that something for you that was, uh, you know, kind of an early indicator where you're like, wow, I need to really make sure I have my stuff together? Not consciously until recently. So my dad died at 42, um, no, sorry, 44, but, um, and I'm getting close to that. So I'm 38 and my son is nine. Who's the same age my brother was when my dad died. And like, all this is like, there's probably some, some therapy here to unpack, but like, as far as like that is hitting a lot closer to home now to realize, like, I need to be paying attention to all these things to to try and do as much as I can about that. So he died of a brain tumor. I'm not entirely sure that like he could have done anything about that. That was just a, you know, a, a lightning strike type of a thing. Um, but at the same time, for sure, like realizing now having, having spent most of my life without him to see, to see what that would be like for, for my son. And again, I've, everything's like, it's hard to like want to change your story if you, if you're happy with how it ended or how it's, how it's going. But man, I would love for part of my story and my son's story to be able to spend as much time with him as I 
possibly can. Um, and so, yeah, so then him, and then I didn't even know my grandparents on, on my mom's side who had, who both died of heart attacks um, in their 50s. And so, again, that's like a lot of what he talks about in the book and something I didn't really, like, I think you learn from your parents, you learn from your experiences, but whether that's like as, as um, specific as I think he makes the point in the book of like, hey, this is like, you get a dealt, you don't get dealt your card of genetics and you can't do a whole lot about that other than like you can, but you got to be paying close attention. Um, that has in the last year, since I really started paying attention to what he's been saying, resonated with me a lot to be like, wait a minute, cardiovascular disease is rampant in that, by, in that side of my family. Like I better be paying attention. Like I'm super healthy, but so I went and did blood work and one of his big numbers is ApoB and mine's actually quite elevated. I've got great blood pressure, great heart health, massive, like super low resting heart rate, quite physically capable. But my ApoB number is a, like one of those things he talks about, like the thing lurking in the dark or in the shadows that you might not know about. Um, it's so interesting. Yeah. So in any case, I think again, I ran with your question, but yeah, no, I, this is a good, good rabbit hole to go down. So I actually, I had a similar experience. Um, I, I went through, I don't know what you use, but I did inside tracker. Um, yep. and then years okay. ago, my wife got me uh 23 and me. So I had all of the like genetic biomarker stuff from them. And then, and then I did, uh, you know, the additional blood work through inside tracker and yep. same thing, like very low, uh, resting heart rate, good blood pressure. Most of my markers are on point and it was like ApoB LDL. And I'm yep. like, so, yeah, same. It's, 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 it's crazy, you know, as yep. like, as a very fit individual and someone that I, I would believe in, you know, within 5% of the population in terms of my, my inputs, um, I was like, okay, well, you know, it's, it's good that I know this and, and I know that there's therapies and things that are, I have options is the point, you know, but to, to Peter's point in the, in the book, you know, one of the things I think that really struck home for me was, and he talks about how there are these teenagers that get into car accidents and, when they open yeah. them up, they find that their, their process of like atherosclerosis, right. And then all the, in this plaque buildup that was eventually going to potentially lead to their demise 40 or 50 years down the road was, has already started. Like, this is yep. not, I think sometimes we think about this as like, Oh, I'm 40. And they say, Hey, it's getting a little bit elevated, but you can, you know, just make these lifestyle interventions and you do, and it comes down a little bit, you know, okay, I'm good. And then, you know, you're in your fifties and then it starts like rapidly getting worse. And it's like, no, 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 it's been building up this whole time. And I think this is where we can start to differentiate medicine 2.0 from 3.0 and 2.0. Yep. They use these 10 year risk windows. And it's like, well, doc, like I, I want to talk about when I'm 90, not 10 years, obviously in 10 years, my risk window is really, really low for these things. But like, let's talk about what it would be if it, so I asked, it was funny. I just had a primary care um, appointment the other day and I asked him, I was like, so if my numbers were like this, but I was 30 years older, what would you do? He's like, well, I would be talking about intervention. And I'm like, all right, well, there we go. Like, yeah, for sure. Right. Yep. And, and I don't know if you get the same experience, but like, Typically with me, they get I get the whole like, oh, you're perfectly healthy. They make some sort of a joke how they don't work out a whole lot and that I'm perfectly fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that's not – I'm not here for a pat on the back and get sent back to my gym. Like I'm here obviously because I'm happy with all these these numbers, but there's a few out here that are standouts and I want to talk to you about what we should be doing right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a massive pet peeve and rant of mine that I can go on for hours. But it's like – yeah, I get the same experience. I go in and they're like, what are you doing here? Get out of my office. There are people in that waiting room that need help. Like you are just wasting all their time. Like 
get out. <laughs> I mean, that's legitimately like I've had that experience. Like, and you know, it's, that's fine. Like, as far as like, I get like our healthcare system is broken. Like there are a lot of people that need much more acute care, but the fact that like, this is, and I, again, I'm not a doctor. So, and this is all, I don't want to be the guy riding the, you know, the new wave of like, this is the answer, but to be made aware of these, these markers that are easy to test for that. I found out about this on my own, had to go chase this thing down and like have recognized that now I'm at a higher risk is a little bit frustrating to me. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with it. I'm a, I'm on the spectrum of like a healthcare provider, though I'm not a physician. So I'm, but at the same time, like, I think that, that, that it's not, I don't know. It's just a massive frustration for me that like, and again, a part of my rant with that is that more people are not, more physicians are not referring their people to me or my gym or, or with exercise. It's the same thing that you said, like, oh, I'm in whatever. And it's just like, Hey, how often you exercise? And they, you know, the patient obviously says zero. I'm like, well, you need to exercise. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go exercise. And then nobody does it. But it's like the fact that we're not like, we don't have this, this, this well-run referral structure or again, maybe somebody can't afford what I'm able to provide at the gym. Like, but there's so many other avenues to be able to do stuff. Like that drives me up the wall that we could be. Well, it would seem, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it would seem like a good use of money in the healthcare system, right? Like yeah. if we're talking about the, even just the, the financial implications of what diabetes and heart disease are doing right to our healthcare infrastructure. Yeah. You would think that the number one preventative tool to those to reducing those numbers would would be would we'd have a better referral structure. Yeah. I, but it just doesn't happen at all. I have one doctor in our in our gym that she she's great. She's I have a handful of doctors. Some of them are not in a position to be able to refer like that's just not they're not primary. Um she is and she does. Uh so I want to acknowledge that. But for the most part, like we are, we're not even in the same breath. Like they, there's a consideration I think for, for fitness and coaches and trainers is like, it's not a real thing. It's not a real job. Or it's not a real, whatever, in my opinion. Um, and I think that's completely backwards. Um, yeah. The, one of the things that I, um, you know, caught, caught me off guard was, so we, we have all these numbers in front of me, right. Which I pulled up all the stuff from my inside tracker. And, and, and by the way, you couldn't, most people couldn't go to their physician and say, I want all of these numbers. What they would, what they would tell you, right? If you're yeah. like, Oh, I want all these biomarkers. I want you to run all these blood panels. They're probably going to a tell you, you don't need it. And B yeah. they'll say, even if you do want it, your insurance probably isn't going to cover it. Yep. All right. So then we're, we're paying yeah. a premium out of pocket to go obtain these things. So yeah. what happened was once, once we had all these numbers in front of us, I asked him to put me into the, the risk calculator. Right. And he goes, Yep. Oh, well, I can't even do that. It doesn't even start until you're 40, right? So he's like, basically, <laughs> right. we have to lie. We have to lie about your age in order yeah. to submit. So after, you have to understand that there's going to be, like, some nuance to this because it's not your real age, right? So we lied. Yep. We said I was 40, 41, whatever. And I thought to myself, I thought, okay, so think about it in this, in this light. Like, if I'm, like, top 5% of the population in terms of, like, my health and fitness at my age, right? Imagine how many people that are being underserved that are like 18 through 39 that are overweight, obese, already start far along in this atherosclerosis, you know, timeline, right? Pre-diabetic. And you're like, oh, we can't put you into a calculator yet. You're not old enough. Yeah. 
And like, uh, listen, I understand that the interventions would come on. The doctor would be inclined to start intervention sooner, but it's just interesting. It's like even the calculators that they're at their disposal aren't meant to serve people beyond a certain age. It was just, it was really goofy and backwards for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've got this massive clog that we're just compounding and compounding that again, like you said, like there's all these people that are entering their, you know, twenties or teens and twenties and thirties that are going to be like, this is, they're well on the way to continuing to clog this thing up and we're not getting any better at unclogging the thing as it is. So like, I think there's a, there's the, the optimistic side of me says like, there's more and more people listening to the podcast and reading these kinds of books. But I also, part of me wonders if that's just who I run or like, that's just my circle. And so like, we're having talks about the book outland and we're talking about our APOB numbers and we're getting blood work done and doing all these things. And like, we might just be part of a privileged few or maybe not privileged, but like uh, uh, aware few. Um, but the optimistic side of me says like, this is, this is, has to trickle down and it will eventually become more standard. Uh, the cynical side of me says like, man, we've got a big set of problems on the horizon that we're not paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, my question is, well, how do I, if, if it's not going to, if the needle is going to move incredibly slow yep. in the, the traditional healthcare setting, it's like, well, how do I start to implement some of these things at my gym? You know, yep. and I, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit in terms of some of these more high value offerings where we do include things like inside tracker, you know, yep. once or twice a year with someone's package. And it's like, now we can start to make more informative decisions around supplementation, around lifestyle interventions based on not just some of the objective measurements we're able to gain, by the way, of movement screenings and, you know, fitness assessment, but also your blood work, right? And like, this can go a long way because now these people are not only getting information, but they're showing up to their doctor's appointments educated, right? It's not like, this is the difference here between that medicine 2.0 and 3.0 is in part the patient is the one that is becoming educated on and can advocate for their own health. For sure. And in conjunction with that, and I, this is an admission of my own shortfalling or shortcoming is like, I should be doing more to back channel my way into a position. Like if freaking farmer reps can be in there all day, every day selling their drugs, like I should be able to be in there selling what I'm doing and at least introducing myself. Uh, I just had the door slammed, like not, not literally, but figuratively emails ignored for so long, but I just need to keep like, if this is a, if this is the big passion that it is for me, that has resonated with me for, you know, since I came up with, like, since I found Peter Tia, like, this has been like one of the business and this has been the driving thing of like, while I was reading that book, like I was just like so excited thinking about all the ways that we could be implementing this. Like I should probably be better about pounding the pavement and trying to make introductions and talk about what, what I'm doing or how we can help people together. Um, I have an, uh, an, an itch feeling that I think Peter Atia is going to create an affiliate program eventually. So I don't know yeah. if you noticed, but he just, he, he basically put out an offer recently for individuals to go through his entire series of protocol. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't hear that. No. Uh, came came across in an email. Um, it was like VO2 max testing, uh, the, the lactic threshold testing, the zone two testing, all the blood work, all the biomarkers, all the genetic factors. Um, and then basically like pr- the description of like what it is you should be doing for you as an individual. And I, I would imagine um, that he, he seems like a business minded individual that this will start to become more of an affiliate or partnership over time. So we'll see. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, we have physicians here in town that do a that do a cash or a, I can't remember the name of it, um, but they have, they have forty patients that pay them. Oh, con- the concierge. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, that seems like again one of those things that maybe I need to. If the wheel hasn't been created yet, we should be creating them. And I've always like there's been years, years and years and years. I've had different doctors be like, "Oh, we should have a, you know, a, a clinic that like you're doing exercise, I'm doing this." Um, they haven't quite lined up, but like that shouldn't be all that hard to to do. Where there there is somebody who's managing blood work and testing and doing, and I'm doing the fitness, and they're you know that whole thing is under one roof, where we're making these people live forever doing the things they want to be doing. Yeah, we actually I I interviewed someone on the podcast uh, way back. I think it was, he was like maybe the fifth or sixth guest somewhere in that lineup, um, and he he runs a, a concierge medicine practice in hmm. uh, in my town. And it's so funny because I I, I you know shared my frustration with my wife because we have like very good comparatively health insurance, and I'm like. I kind of want to go to him, even though I pay yeah. out of pocket, right? Even though like we have, you know, free visits through our healthcare system. It's just like, I, I'm tired of feeling like I'm in a puppy mill. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right. They're getting, sh- you know, it's like, what's the point? What are we, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah and that's a good question. And that's a, something I've been trying to like, I get frustrated too with the same thing where people are, as far as paying out of pocket, like all the costs of like inside tracker, you know, whatever it was, a couple hundred bucks. Somebody balked at that. I was having a conversation with them. They're like, wow, you paid whatever, $300 to get your blood work done? Yeah, absolutely. Like how much have I spent on random nonsense over the, throughout the year to not, you know, to not live a longer time. And the same argument goes like people spend, you know, if the rough idea is what 10% of your income or 20% of your income for retirement, like those are whatever, just call that what it is. Say, say you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you're putting away 10 or $20,000 to live, to, to postpone and live, you know, what your life for the last 10 or 20 when you're not, don't have to work anymore. But people balk all the time. It's spending 200 or 500 or $600 a month to be able to make it there and live it, live that time. So I think I could be guilty as well. I, I'm not as much, but I think what you were saying like that paying out of pocket for your medical stuff to be able to like thrive for ever is probably makes a lot of sense. It makes more sense than putting money towards a nest egg my opinion. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, gosh, there's so many, I, there's so many directions I would love to go with this, but we have just crossed over an hour 10. Yeah. (laughs) So next thing you know, we'd be on here for two hours. Well, Hey, Kenny, I really appreciate you coming on. I knew that we were going to get into some, some deep and fun topics. Um, tell the audience a little bit more about, uh, where they can learn about you. So I am Coach Kenny Marquardt on Instagram, uh, same with Facebook, Kenny, Kenny Marquardt. Or sorry, what did I just say? Coach Kenny Marquardt on Instagram, Facebook, Kenny Marquardt, uh, sandpointstrength.com or coachkennym.com uh, where I do I do some longevity coaching now, which is awesome. People have been listening to what I've been saying on my Facebook and Instagram, and they've been approaching me about coaching them in this kind of stuff. Uh, and I do some business coaching as well. So I love it. Well, hey, Kenny, thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, thanks, Derek. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.